rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13 of Superman of the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and before we get into the reviews this month, I just want to start off with a um, an apology, and uh, but because it turns out I've had a comment sitting on a response to episode 10 since February the 11th, and today I am recording this on the 22nd, and... For some reason, I didn't get an email letting me know the comment was there, so I was not aware of it until just yesterday. So um, we have a com- I have a comment from Tom O, who, if you haven't been, and I also want to thank Tom before I get into um, his comment. Uh, he has a, he has his own website called Superman 101 at SupermanDaily.blogspot.com, and uh, it's. A pretty cool site. He just started it recently, but uh, just about every day he's, in fact, literally every day. Wow, he posts uh, some sort of Superman thing. Uh, usually an image with a small article, a Valentine's Day. He put a picture of Lois and Clark kissing. Aww. Um, he does something to celebrate 25 years ago. Uh, Kurt Swan's birthday. He had, Put in that famous picture of uh, Superman flying with Kurt over Metropolis. Um, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. And um, I would like to thank him because uh, one of the he's one of the one of the sites that has actually listed my show as one of the podcasts on the sidebar of his site. And um, because of that, he's actually literally uh, number two or three of the list of uh, websites that refer people to my site for downloading the show second um, I believe second only to the Superman homepage so I want to thank you Tom um, thank you very much for posting my site on your sidebar so people actually come and check it out and uh, I apologize for not reading your comment and I really like your site it's it's pretty cool it's a daily blog and it's really cool uh, in fact, like I said, today's the 22nd, and today's post is a picture of that Scotty Young drew of Superman with a robot, which actually looks to be maybe like a giant Metello kind of thing, um, which is really cool because Scotty Young is uh, exclusive to Marvel, so you don't really see him draw non-Marvel stuff or non-Wizard of Oz stuff right now, but uh, his version of Superman is interesting. It's kind of got an animated feel like his art does so I, 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 it's pretty cool anyway Tom commented <clears throat> on episode 10 which was um, that was the June 71 issue uh, that featured uh, Superman stopping the uh, hydrogen bomb uh, Superman fi- uh, teaming up with Aquaman and um, Superman pretty much getting taken down by some Native Americans uh, his post, uh, his comment is, uh, first of all, congratulations on being picked up by the Superman homepage, which is the first, it's also the first episode that Steve Yunus uh, started posting 
on the Superman homepage. Uh, that's pretty awesome. I'm sure it'll bring in a new listener or two to the show. As a fellow fan spreading the gospel of Superman across the internet, it's nice to know that your efforts are appreciated. And yes, it is. And um, it has brought some listeners. It's, um, I'll admit it. It's dying down a little bit. But uh, episode 10 is probably the most downloaded episode. Excuse me. Uh, it's probably the most downloaded episode since my Christmas episode. So that's really cool. People at least checked it out. Um, second, he says, uh, the Bronze Age Soups is my personal favorite, so I've been listening since the first episode, and I'm enjoying following along with your analysis. So, thank you, Tom. Glad to have you. Um, hope I haven't disappointed you yet. But, um, yeah, so make sure you check out his site. I'm going to add it to the um, reference sites on my website. And uh, thank you very much for commenting Tom and thank you for your assistance in getting people to my show so thank you very much um, next we have an email uh, from Steve Rogers and uh, he actually sent a couple of he sent one that said hey Charlie just finished listening to the latest episode and realized that it's been more than a year and there hasn't been a single appearance from any of Superman's core villains I responded and told him that I agree and that I very much look forward to some of them showing up and then he sent me another one where he said that he didn't mean to send it that short. Uh, but in terms of wondering why it was, comparatively speaking with the burn and post-infinite crisis eras where the likes of Lex Luthor and others got thrown into the mix right of way. And yes, um, I don't know the huge difference. I know uh, burn obviously was doing a complete revamp, so they wanted to get you know the new versions of the characters in there. Because you know when you're doing a revamp, the first thing you want to see um, new versions of the old characters to see the changes and stuff. Uh, Post-Infinite Crisis, I think they were just trying to show Superman at his best, and he's at his best when he's got to go up against all of the, a bunch of his, his biggest enemies, specifically Luther. Um, but in this version, um, the big thing, partially, I want to, I'm going to attribute it. And I'm not completely sure, but partially I want to contribute it to the fact that um, Julie Schwartz just didn't know a whole lot about Superman at the time. And also, uh, Denny O'Neill uh, wasn't a huge fan of Superman at the time. So both of them were trying their own thing. And also they were trying to get away from some of the what had gone before. In just these first few issues of Superman that we've covered so far, um, we have seen you know Kryptonite taken off the table. Uh, no one has magic. They're slowly Superman is losing his powers. We've seen the robots taken out. Lois doesn't seem to be interested in trying to figure out if Superman and Clark are the same person. She just likes Superman and really cuts down Clark. And, um, you know, basically they're trying to get, trying to move away from the Silver Age and all that stuff. And one of the big things about the Silver Age was villains like Brainiac and Lex Luthor, etc., etc. Now, Lex is going to show up pretty soon. Um, sooner than just about anybody else, I believe. And um, so we'll be seeing him not too far with just a few more episodes. And I think he shows up a couple of times before anyone, any of the others. Uh, there's a couple of Toy Man appearances, but really, um, and then a few, couple, one or two more Luthers. Then I know there's um, a Mitzel Plick. Um, wow. Huh. Super Friends. Anyway, uh, Mixias Pitalik, uh appearance way down the road. And it, it's not going to be until about 76, 77 
which I attribute to possibly because they're gearing up for the Superman movie, so they're trying to, you know, but they're, you know, trying to revitalize Superman or something. I don't know, but um, we really aren't. We really aren't going to see too many of Superman's main villains that we know, like Bizarro, Brainiac, and the others, until much later. Uh, Luther's going to show up a few times, but not a whole lot. Uh, Toy Man's going to show up literally, I want to say, twice. And, um, yeah, so, um, now they were in Super Friends, so you'll see them there, uh, Challenge of the Super Friends. But um, here, not so often for quite a while. I just think they're trying to get away from the quote-unquote silly stuff, and I guess they saw the, the villains as being somewhat quote-unquote again, silly, because, uh, let's face it, uh, Superman's villains are not really on par with the cool villains like, you know, Batman or The Flash. And uh, I guess they just couldn't think of cool ways to work them in for a while. Um, I mean, Brainiac wears pink shorts. Mm. Yeah, so, I don't know. They Eventually, we will get a lot. The villains showing up a lot. but. For now, um, they're just focusing on Superman, which is actually cool, but I, too, am looking forward to being able to talk about Superman fighting Brainiac and all these other cool guys. So I don't know exactly how long it's going to take because I'm not very good with math, but um, it's com they'll be coming up somewhat soon, Luther especially. But anyway, so Steve, thank you for writing in. And uh, that was cool because it's, unfortunately, it's been a while since I've gotten an email from people. So, please, I want to encourage everyone to write in. I, I promise you I will read these things and respond to them on the show. I promise. Um, and I'm going to keep tra uh, closer track on those comments. Sorry, Tom. But um, anyway, um, so I guess that's it for now. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just play a little promo and we'll move on. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big hang-up. Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find the Spider-Man. Presenting Superman. Okay. Superman number 242. The finale to the Kryptonite Nevermore story. 
This issue was is dated September 1971 and was released on July 13, 1971 with an awesome cover by Neil Adams. We've got a city on fire and we've got Superman. Actually, he, uh, it's not as clear as it's been on other covers and in the books, uh, but literally it literally looks like we've got two Superman fighting each other giving each other a good couple of punches to the chin. Uh, but you can see little flakes of sand coming off of one, so that would be the sand Superman. But that it looks really cool. Superman's get, and both of them look like they're hurting, they're getting hurt by the punches, and below them you just see this city on fire, and it's a highly detailed city, lots of destruction, and it says, The duel that destroyed the Earth. So, I mean, this is a cool cover. If you haven't read any part of this, or even if you have, this cover I'm sure would have gotten your attention. It's got a lot of background, a lot of color, it really pops, and you're going to be wondering why there's two Superman fighting. So I'm really impressed by this cover. The title of this is The Ultimate Battle. The story is by Denny O'Neill. The art is by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, and the editor is Julie Schwartz. And Superman, of course, was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And we start off at basically a landfill dump in New York City. Superman is still dazed and confused, while the oriental war demon that uh, has been possessed by a creature from Quarm is got him cut over his head like he's going to throw him or break his back, like Bane style. Um, meanwhile, two guys um, show up that look like they've seen better days, uh, named Stupot and Jimmy. And not Jimmy like Olsen, but Jimmy like G-E-M-M-I. Because, like I mentioned last episode, Denny O'Neill apparently does not believe in names like John or Steve. So, we have Stu Pot and Jimmy um, pretty much cheering the demon on for beating up Superman. As the demon throws Superman into the roof of a car. Which causes him to get banged up and bleed because his powers are gone, although we don't actually see the blood. Stupot decides he wants to take a chance at this, so he and he always wanted to slug it to Superman, so he goes in and punches him. Doesn't break his knuckles. He comments it is just like hitting a pillow. Meanwhile, D Superman is finding himself to be dazed, and he can't collect his thoughts, as in a really sad scene that you probably haven't really seen in a Superman book up to this point. Uh, Stupot stands behind Superman and locks down his arms as Superman is kneeling on the ground, and Jimmy basically starts beating the crap out of him, and he's just getting hit. He can't defend himself. It um, kind of reminds me that's of the scene from Superman Returns. Other, well, they didn't really hold him. He just was too weak from the kryptonite, but I mean, he's getting the crap beat out of him. And once they're tired, they just leave Superman lying, moving on the scrap heap. And then they come upon the demon guy again. And he mentions that he's confused. So they decide that they're going to teach him how to do stuff here on Earth. Less than an hour later, through a huge bit of coincidence, Jimmy Olsen picks his way through the dump because he apparently has to do a story about Manhattan's junk problem. And he happens to hear Superman moaning and calls an ambulance, which gets him to a hospital. And they mention that apparently Superman is not only suffering from the beating, but also a severe brain injury. 
since they since he's lost his invulnerability, they can operate. They can't guarantee success, but Jimmy says to do it because don't worry about the cost. He'll be able to raise whatever money he they need. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in Midtown, New York, the demon Jimmy and Stupot are uh, are riding on his shoulders as they head to the museum. And they have tell the demon that he's supposed to destroy it, right? So he just goes in and starts taking things apart, smashing statues, ripping apart the support columns in front. A couple of police officers try to stop him, with, uh, but the bullets just bounce off. Suddenly, the Sand Superman crashes through the roof of the building and knocks the um, Quorum Demon back. Uh, they start fighting, uh, but unfortunately, it possesses about two thirds of Superman's strength somehow while the sand creature only has one-third, so he flies off trying to think about what he's going to do. Meanwhile, the best surgeons in the nation are about to begin the crucial probing of Superman's brain. And in the waiting room, we see Jimmy, Diana Prince, and I Ching hanging out in the waiting room. And basically, I Ching brings us up to speed on what we found out before. Uh, basically explaining that the sand creature is from Quorum, which, of course... Diana acts like she's just learning for the first time, even though she learned it last issue. The doctor comes out after a little bit of talking and tells them that it uh, looks like it worked. It's a little too early to tell, and he's weak. However, barring complications or further shock, he should recover, excuse me, she should recover satisfactorily. Meanwhile, downtown, and what looks like it's Times Square because of the building I see in the background, uh, we see the demon now smashing a, looks like a trash truck, or maybe it's a semi, the angle's kind of weird, so it's hard to tell. Um, so they try to get a, so they get a newspaper, find out Superman's at the hospital, and decide that they're going to go to the hospital and take care of Superman for good. And so they head to the hospital with the demon, but there's a blockade because the cops are there. And they start shooting, but of course... But, excuse me. Uh, they start shooting at them, but for some reason they only shoot at the demon's chest, which of course the bullets don't do anything, and he just runs through them and tears them apart, and continues plotting towards the hospital, and then stops. And the creature takes the two men and realizes that um, you, they say his mission is to destroy and that he's all-powerful, so that means that he doesn't need to obey them. And basically, while we don't see it, either that he just drops them on the ground, or he literally squeezes the life out of them, and then drops them to the ground. But in either event, there is a Bible quote in the middle of the page, as we see the demon walk off, that says, Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. From Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 8. Inside the hospital... Um, the nurse calls for the doctor as she's checking on Superman. He's trying, she was been trying to loosen the costume, but it won't come off, which, uh, that he mentions that they, which was kind of weird, but they had to operate without removing it, which, so it's a good thing. It was just, you know, his brain. Um, but apparently his breathing has gotten more rapid. His pulse is way up. And when they tried to give him an injection, the needle broke, which means that his powers must be returned. Uh, suddenly, Jimmy, uh, Diana, and I, well, not I Ching because he's blind, but uh, Jimmy and Diana see the demon as he's outside the window, and because I guess they're on the first floor. And the demon basically just punches his way through the window. Jimmy and Diana say they're going to put up a fight, but we've seen what he can do. Literally, with one punch, he knocks out Jimmy. 
Diana tries to take him down, but with one karate chop to the arm, nothing happens. And he literally basically picks her, kind of throws her away. And um, he, this demon crashes through the wall into Superman's room and is about to just take out Superman. He lifts him up from the bed, but suddenly Superman wakes up um, with a look of determination and twists himself free from the demon's grip. And he can suddenly feel his power and strength flooding back into him. So um, he gives him a couple good punches, but at this point, um, there's fighting with two-thirds of Superman's power, so each one of them has one-third, and it's an evil fight, when suddenly the sand creature comes in, and the two Superman punch him and knock him back, and basically work him back towards Central Park, and uh, where the big uh, gap in, the, in reality is. And uh, basically, they send the creature past the gap, which pretty much forces the Quarm creature back to Quarm. And we see the Oriental Demons kind of deflate into the paper mache it was made from. So Superman takes a giant boulder and somehow is able to plug the hole with it. And um, the two Supermen start talking about what's going on. And Super, uh, the Sans Superman just basically tells Superman that he wants to live. But, and he wants to be Superman, but in order for that to happen, the real Superman must die. Uh, they're about to start fighting when I Ching uh, says there's a better, better way. He can cancel the effects of their opposing atoms, which of course prevents them from being able to actually touch, allowing them to participate in the ultimate battle to the finish. So doing that, they began punching each other. Um, it's, it look, which looks cool, but it's not quite as dynamic as it is on the cover. But they start fighting. Superman decides that he can't do this with his powers. He's got to use his brains. So he decides he can try to confuse them by diving into the earth, as Superman is wont to do, and having the sand creature follow him. And then when uh, when he tries to and make him lose his orientation so that when he pops up out of the hole, Superman can take him down. So we see Superman diving through the earth. We see them pass through the molten ball of uh, metal that is the core of the planet. Superman pops up on earth, and, or, and then we see Superman pop up on the surface. And as the sand creature pops up, Superman gives him a right, uh, a good punch to the, I guess, the jaw, which sends him flying even further up, up and away. Uh, out in space, they continue to fight. Meanwhile, on Earth, the tragedy is in the making. Their passage through Earth's core left tunnels, and the molten metal, which is under unbelievable pressure, shoots towards the planet's surface, causing earthquakes, um, unleashes heat surges in the oceans and the rivers, and the waters boil. And we see the surface of the Earth cracking. We see molten, geyser, uh, molten lava geysers shooting at a hundred different points in the, on the planet. Uh, basically, in about six minutes, Earth is pretty much destroyed. And as they're fighting, Superman looks down and sees that he can't believe what's happened. And for their own selfish ends, they've destroyed everything. And he asks to be forgiven as he's crying. And I Ching tells him to come out of it and be at peace. And apparently we find out that it hasn't never actually happened. Uh, I Ching actually put them in a trance so they could see what would happen if the two of them tried fighting. Um, the Quorum the sand creature decides he 
doesn't has no right to be Superman. So basically, he flies back through that same hole in reality back to Quarm, uh, basically keeping the one third or half of the powers of Superman. Uh, I Ching offers to send all the powers back to Superman, but Superman says no. I've seen what having too much power can call what, what having too much power can do. He's human and he can make mistakes, even though he's Kryptonian. He's still human. Uh, he doesn't want or need more of that. So the Quarmer leaves, and Superman stands in the gathering darkness, and none can know his thoughts. And that's it. And that's the end of Kryptonite Nevermore. And it's a pretty cool, um, especially for the day, that's a pretty cool ending to a pretty long, big story. Um, this story was reprinted twice, uh, Best of DC number 32. And since none of the other issue, uh, stories from this, um, or none of the other issues from this story were reprinted in that book, this must seem kind of out of place. But then again, we do get a plenty of, um, it's a two, basically this has been a two, at least the last two parts are basically one continuous story, maybe the last three parts actually. So having only one part reprinted in that book must be kind of jarring. Also, it has been reprinted in Kryptonite Nevermore, and that's pretty much the last time I'm going to be saying that. Um, page one, like I said, Stupot and Jimmy, weird names. Page eight. Uh, Diana pretty much has to relearn that Superman's double is from Quarm. Pages 7 through 9, we have some pretty bad pacing. Um, this, there's a short amount of time that I Ching spends explaining the, the, about Quarm and everything we need to know, but apparently that short little time, and I basically used up that whole time explaining it myself, was all the time they needed for a complicated brain surgery on a Kryptonian brain in 1971 where they don't have near the technology they have now, and I know it takes hours now. So what's up with that? Also, in the short time that it took to get Superman to the hospital and for the surgery to take place, because it seemed to be rushing through it, there was time for a whole new edition of the local paper to be printed with news of Superman in the hospital. That's like faster than the Internet. And... um also, however long this takes, apparently these guys are still on their rampage. They haven't stopped to take a break. Nothing. Um, page nine. Um, they the, the two got uh, Stupot and Jimmy act like they've been they've had it for uh, they've had it for Superman to get rid of him for years, but Superman's never even really been to New York before, other than last issue and this issue. So. I mean, Grant, maybe some of the golden age, but Superman really doesn't, really probably has had nothing to do with these two ever. But um, they want to get him off their backs forever by killing him just seems a little over the top. Maybe it's just me. Page 11. Um, like I said, th this is when the creature is either squeezing the life out of the, out of the two and then dropping them or just dropping them. If he's just dropping them, you see the word, uh, well, the sound effect of yah, like they're falling. But this creature, and I don't know if it's the way it's written or the way that Swan drew it, but this creature is, I mean, he's pretty tall. I mean, he's taller than the others. But if he's holding his arm straight out like he's, like you see, 
and I'm actually doing this even though you can't see it, but if he's holding his arms straight out and drops them, they're basically going to fall a foot, maybe. Not enough to hurt them, even if they landed on their side. So I don't. I think he must have squeezed it, and then they didn't want to show it for either comic code reasons or self-censorship, but I don't know. It's not really clear how they die there. Um, page 15, while Superman and the Sand Superman are trying to basically punch over and over again the um, demon creature uh, over to Central Park, there's no traffic. No traffic at all. You see no cars. This is Metropolis, or not Metropolis, this is New York City, which is even worse because we actually know about traffic in New York City, and there's none. I'm sorry, it's the middle of the day, or it's daytime anyway, and if it's this close to night by the time that um, Superman and, excuse me, and if it's that close to time, or to uh, sunset by the time they finish the battle, yeah, that's going to be some traffic. It's called Rush Hour. Uh, page 17. Um, unfortunately, Superman's not really the only one of his kind. Uh, there's Supergirl, Crypto, Candor, and the Phantom Zone. Even though he mentions, uh, or actually the Sand Creature mentions that he's the only one of his kind, and his uniqueness, and mentions that Superman needs to be unique in order to, he's proud of it. So, but he's not the only one of his kind. I mean, the whole point of the, well, not the whole point, but a big part of the Silver Age was making sure he wasn't one of a, one of a kind. He's just one of several. Also, at one point in on that page, there's an error in the editor's note that actually refers to Superman two third or one thirty three when they should be referring to two thirty three. But you know that's not a huge deal. Um, page eighteen basically it says combat such as the world has never seen. Um. Okay, now I see what my note is about. Basically, we've seen we see Superman and the same creature punch each other twice, and then Superman dives into the ground. That's not anything we've never seen before. Batman's punching people on a daily, on a monthly basis, usually two or three times a month. Um, basically, anyone that has a, any hero that has a comic book published punches people. And Superman diving we've seen before. There's nothing, maybe it's because of the fact of the power, or maybe it's just the, as much as I hate to say it because I love his art, maybe it's because of the limitation of Swan's art, but this is nothing we haven't seen before. Sorry. Uh, page 21. Now, I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure it would have taken longer than six minutes to destroy the planet. I would think it would take, you know, weeks or months, maybe. Uh, I would think that Superman would have had plenty, plenty of time to um, prevent what some of what happened. Granted, the I could see the quakes and stuff, but it would take a lot longer for the, all of the human race to die and disappear. But then again, this was inside a trance, so maybe it was just sped up to teach the lesson and because of the fact that they were running out of pages. Um, and on page 22, excuse me, he decide, uh, Superman stand, is standing there in Central Park, and usually when he wants to be by himself, he will fly off, maybe to the fortress, maybe just, you know, to the moon, uh, mountaintop, yeah, somewhere. 
but he actually tells, not asks, but tells I Ching to leave and stands there. Just seemed kind of rude. In fact, let me, I can quote you. Oh, he does say, please go, but uh, now, Ching, please go. I'd like to be alone. I mean, the dude's blind. Just fly off. Hello? Even in half power, you've got enough power to fly off. But I'm not mad at Superman. Overall, though, um, I thought it was kind of interesting that the homeless bums, and maybe this is a sign of the times or a sign of the artist, but um, those homeless bums are still basically wearing suits. Now, they're not the best kept suits. There's untucking of the shirts, and it looks they look unkempt, but they're still wearing suits. But anyway, in fact, uh, Stupot's wearing a hat. So, um, other than the pacing issue, though, I thought this was a really good story. And um, the art is fantastic. Probably the best it's been this whole series so far. Uh, you can really see the pain on Superman's face. And even though it looks sketchier, Swan's still able to make it definitely look, or Swan and Anderson actually are still able to make the sand Superman definitely look like Superman. It looks really cool. And, um,. This issue basically sets up a brand new status quo for Superman. He's only going to be at half power. Will it last? No, not really. Um, unfortunately, after this, um, pretty, Superman's pretty much going to go back to full power again. Why? I'm not completely sure. But it just never took. So, um, unfortunately, uh, it's a good setup. It would be kind of interesting to see Superman not as powerful, but basically the idea is that Superman had, uh, well, the excuse that they've had since then is that basically Superman had infinite power before, and even half of infinite power is still pretty infinite. So even though the idea was to depower him so he wasn't able to be moving around planets, um, he's still going to be able to move around planets. But we're going to get another, this is what, 71? And... This is the version of Superman we're going to see up until late 86. So we still got about 15 more years worth of super, super Superman. So, I mean, and we still have a lot of good stuff coming up. So it, it's not terrible, but it's kind of sad that um, Schwartz's original plan, when he comes on the book, kind of gets pushed aside. Um... Of the few things from this that will actually stay as part of the canon now, uh, from these 10, 12 issues of Superman, uh, actually, what, 10 issues, because we had one that was a reprint. Um, so basically what we learn, the only thing that's going to stick around from these, from this story is uh, Clark's going to be a newspaper, is going to be a TV reporter from now until the the burn reboot um, eventually he's well in, in this we don't really see him as the roving kind of reporter he's he does some roving stuff but pretty much pretty soon but he's pretty much already uh, set up for you know anchoring the new six o'clock news so that's coming up um, that's about it he's eventually he's gonna come back spoiler warning eventually he's gonna come back part-time with the planet um, uh, mostly after the movie, probably just be, to help tie it in a little bit, since the comments were too different from the movie. But um, yeah, that's pretty much going to be it. The, the globe's going to be gone for a while. 
from the from the GBS building. Uh, Morgan Edge is going to be sticking around for the next 15 years. Um, but basically, uh, Kryptonite's going to be gone for several years. Um, so that's pretty much what's how things changed within the story. But I really would have been interested to see what they would have done with this slightly less, but with a half-powered Superman. It could have been pretty cool. Um, but uh, next, I'm going to do some promos, and we're going to move on to the next book this month. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Gather together for a world's finest adventure. DC Comics presents Superman and... Here come the Teen Titans, a quartet of towering talents. Kid Flash, whose speed defies the eye to follow. Wonder Girl, swift and powerful super lass. Speedy, whose fantastic arrows perform awesome feats. Aqualad, bold and daring marine marvel. Fabulous foursome for right against might. The Teen Titans. Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I know it. there's going to be more than four heroes in this story. But uh, 14 Titans in this story. But um, unfortunately, the only other option I had was the uh, from that recent Teen Titans cartoon. And I really wanted to keep it somewhat more time frame accurate, which would be the old 60s filmation Teen Titans cartoons. Yeah, the other one was just too, I don't know, new. Anyway. World's Finest, number 205. The cover of this book actually looks really cool. It's a Neil Adams cover. Once again, uh, it's a September 1971 issue, and it was released on July 27, 1971, with this awesome cover by Neil Adams again. Um, and basically what we've got is kind of what happens in the story because of the way it ends up working out, but we've got, it looks like this town is basically getting destroyed by this giant, dragon that's drooling and superman is kind of stuck he can't move he's being held in he's it's in it he's in it he's in this dragon's clutches uh meanwhile on the side um kind of like where the like if it was a justice league comic it would just have their heads for the roll call we see five members of the teen titans just kind of standing there watching um so that's interesting but but i don't know it kind of works 
uh, I like how they the, the cover dynamics cool because the part with the cool image and the coloring and everything has Superman and then Teen Titans part even the word Teen Titans is surrounded by this black uh, background uh, so and they actually stay in it so that's pretty cool how they kind of do that um, uh, the title of the story is the computer that captured a town the story is by Steve Skeets the art is by Dick Dillon and Joe Gaiella and the editor is Julie Schwartz now we're in a town called Fairfield and some small towns never seem to change and this town is just like that the stores and homes look nearly the same now as they did during the early 1900s and the thoughts and the opinions of the townspeople are similar to the way they were back then here crime is considered wholly repulsive and no attempt is made to look at uh, to look at and understand the criminal motivation here all criminals are dealt with swiftly and sternly and what we see is three teen titans um, kit flash speedy and mao uh, hiding outside of a grocery store as someone is basically shoplifting a couple of bags worth of groceries and the titans decide hey you're a thief and decide to pretty much beat the tar well actually I say they beat the tire of him. Kid Flash pretty much punches his lights out, even though he didn't mean to steal, but he did this to, you know, his family starving. But it doesn't change the fact that he stole, so Kid Flash keeps beating him up. And to put him down for good, uh, Speedy uses a boxing glove arrow to knock the wind out of him, and then Mal comes up and knocks him uh, from the back, basically knocking him out cold. And uh, the heroes walk off and basically tell Mal, who is a black guy, uh, that um, he needs to go back over to his side of the town, and he says, you're right, see you later, fellas. Um, meanwhile, at an apartment that uh, they share in Fairfield, um, Donna Troy and Lilith are basically sitting around scrapbooking and uh, waiting, uh, wondering if Kid Flash, Speedy, or somebody is going to ever ask them out on the date. Now, when they turn off the turn on the news and see Clark Kent giving, you know, doing the eleven o'clock report, and um, suddenly Lilith, who has this power um, where she gets these unexpected and unexplainable visions, sees a man um, she's never seen before walk into a cavern, a cavern which has some strange machinery. Uh, basically, this man touches the machine, uh, and as though the life is being drawn out of him, basically dies. And suddenly, uh, a, deep, a voice deep within Lilith's subconscious, a voice that she's totally unaware of, shouts, The Teen Titans are trapped in Fairfield. The Teen Titans are trapped in Fairfield. And it's a mental image that's beamed at the television that she's watching, which is of course, on Clark, and is in the middle of his newscast, he suddenly says the Teen Titans are trapped in Fairfield. Um, and of course, this confuses the two Titan, female Titans, wondering how he knows they're even there and what he means about them being trapped. And they just turn it off and decide to listen to some records at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so after the, once they wrap up the broadcast, uh, they, uh, Clark's fellow, uh, you know, fellow co-workers are asking what, what, why he said all that about the Teen Titans, but of course Clark has no idea what he's talking about. Morgan Edge shows up and wants, and seems pretty upset, wondering why he ad-libbed the part about the Titans. Clark still doesn't know what he's talking about, so Edge turns on his monitor to play back the telecast, and of course Clark 
even though he's forgotten, he sees that he did say something about the Titans, which caused him to remember there's a new Titan member named Lilith who has certain telepathic powers, and maybe it was some sort of SOS. So he decides he'd better check it out as Superman. So he excuses himself, saying he's not feeling well. And um, so Superman heads up into the sky to check out uh, Fairfield. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Fairfields in the United States. But for, uh, he eventually finds Kid Flash and Mal, and they're fighting because Kid Flash is basically telling Mal uh, that he and Speedy have dates, and that's why they're not going crime fighting. And Mal basically says, yes, I'm Mr. Flash, and walks off. And Superman lands and asks Kid Flash why he's talking to Mal that way. And uh, Kid Flash basically tells him, sometimes these people get a, a bit uppity, and, and you have to put them in their place. So Flash is like, what, what's going on? Why? He's acting like he really believes he's a second-class citizen, which he's never really done before. Uh, so Superman keeps walking through town, and Lilith is leaving a grocery store, and um, she basically asks what he's doing there, and says that he's received received a message and was asked to investigate, and she asks what the message was, and he thought it came from her, but she says she doesn't have any telepathic powers, so she couldn't have sent the message, and um, he realizes that this is something really weirds going on, and they're not acting like the Teen Titans he knows, so he walks around town a little bit more, past the Richard Handley Memorial Library, through Handley Park, to a statue of Richard Handley. And he's trying to figure out if he can, uh, what that, what all this has to do with that image he saw. So he decides that he's going to check out the hills on the east side of town to see if he can find the cavern from earlier. And as he nears one, his super hearing picks up the noises of machinery. So he heads inside. Apparently, um, he, well, he, Superman remembers what he saw and heads into the cave. And we wonder what he sees that causes great shock. And with a great Krypton, Superman is confronted by a giant dragon with flames coming up. This is actually a pretty cool image. But he's confronted by a giant dragon. And uh, he can't believe it because he knows that they're fake, but this dragon is real. So Superman goes up to take it down. Um, he takes one, he knocks it in the, uh, gives it a good punch, but unfortunately the tail comes back and knocks him out. Uh, meanwhile, uh, a strange thing happens to the people of Fairfield. Just as the beast and the machine that created it feel threatened, so too do the oppressors, and the bigots, chauvinists, and jingoists of the community. And we see white, uh, apparently whites are lashing out against blacks as we see a white guy slap a black guy. Uh, we see husbands lashing out at their wives as one guy tells them that, tells his wife that he's the head of the household and he'll do exactly what I say. And, um, meanwhile Superman is still fighting the dragon. He eventually gets away at using super speed. And just as he's about to enter the cave though, the dragon catches up and throws him back basically guarding Superman from the cave. Um, he So Superman decides, you know what, he needs to do something. So he's going to... He needs to do something faster than thought because he's afraid that maybe the computer that's trying to stop him can read his mind. So flying away at super speed, he turns around and head, 
uh, he flies away, acting like he's going to leave. But at super speed, he flies around the dragon, and before the dragon can react, Superman's in the cave at the computer machine and sees a skeleton laying there, which obviously, which he takes to be the remains of Richard Handley. And Superman basically destroys the machine, which takes out the dragon, and all of a sudden, everyone gets back to normal. And um, flat as it does this moment though, it's for some humor. Flash enters the girl's apartment and says, um, "Geez, you guys, your apartment's a mess. Why don't you girls neaten things up? You haven't, you haven't got anything better to do." Suddenly, the girls return to their normal status or whatever, um, return to normal, and basically slap him around, telling him he's a male chauvinist pig. Uh, elsewhere, uh, we see Speedy and Mal heading towards the store, trying to get to the store before it closes. And, of course, Speedy says something pretty racist, like, I know you darkies are supposed to be lazy, but you're carrying it too far. Hurry up. And uh, Mal, all of a sudden, things return to normal for them. So Mal basically shoves him around and tells him he doesn't take orders, especially from from Speedy, and calling him a whitey. And then they apologize to each other and realize that something happened. Uh, thing, things are just weird to them. And then Superman lands and explains everything that happened. And um, that's pretty much it. Uh, overall, this was a somewhat interesting story. But first of all, I'm just going to say this. This isn't really a team-up. Uh, the Teen Titans didn't do much except uh, serve as good um, examples of some of the stuff going on in town. Other than calling Superman to the town, they don't really do anything in the story. It's mostly just a Superman story with the Teen Titans in it. Um, oh, I should point out that this has been reprinted just once in Showcase Presents Teen Titans Volume 2. Um, uh, but um, back to pages 7 and 8, uh, when, Super, when Morgan Edge is talking to Superman, for some reason uh, Morgan Edge is shown with black hair instead of brown. Uh, basically it looks black and instead of and has the blue colored in it the same way Superman's is to indicate it's supposed to be black hair which is weird and it's a consistent thing it's not just like in one panel it's he's in a couple pages and it's consistently like that in each panel so that's a little weird and on page 10 okay remember at the beginning of the story where we see Kid Flash and Speedy and Mal beating up this guy for you know stealing from a grocery store in the middle of the night when it's closed well this is still the same night uh, apparently there's nothing indicating it's a different day or anything it's after the newscast Superman's flying out to this Fairfield and Lilith is leaving a store and she's shopping she's got a bag full of groceries and <laughs> I thought this was funny she's got a box of cereal that's literally just marked cereal so I don't know maybe that's a little gag but um, She's shopping in the middle of the night. Apparently it's legal. And Superman just lets her go. And later on, still basically the same night, based on the colors, because uh, we still see the moon and a dark sky afterwards, we see Speedy yelling at Mal to hurry up. they got to get to the store before it closes. But it's already closed. So that's a little weird. Basically, that's it for that issue. Um... There, uh, like I mentioned before, we do have some backup stuff in this issue. Uh, we have 
The Secret of the Last Man on Earth, uh, which is reprinted from Strange Adventures number 111 from December of 1959, which is a nine-page story. And then we have Shining Knight, a Shining Knight story titled The Duel of the Flying Knights, which is reprinted from Adventure Comics number 153 from June 1950. And it's a six-page story. Oh, and this issue also features letters by both Marty Pasco and Bob Rosakis. So that's pretty cool. Both of them are in the same issue. Marty's is rather long, uh, but basically this is about the issue with uh, Superman and Batman. Um, Marty's is pretty long, so that's I'm not going to read that, but I'll go ahead and read Bob Rosakis's because it's pretty short. But he writes, Dear Editor, Despite your claim that the scene on the cover at World's Finest is not any sort of cop-out, it actually is. And this is the cover where we see Superman basically choking Batman, like looking like it's, he's killing him. Um, let's see. Uh, we are led to believe that this is Superman who is strangling Batman, when it is actually a runaway robot. It makes me wonder what your definition of a cop-out is. In any case, the plot is an old one, and wasn't that spectacular the first time around. Surely the talented Denny O'Neill can do better than this. The only innovations I can see are the sun-like head of the tomb thing, giving the Man of Steel an additional weakness, and the retirement of all the robots, which should eliminate the possibility of our seeing another repeat performance of the runaway robot plot. Bob Rosakis, El Elmont, New York. And the response from E. Nelson Bridwell is, you seem like the kind of guy who will look at a comic cover, check the inside, and if there's the slightest difference, will yell, Egypt me. Well, we'll try not to merit too many complaints, as long as you keep buying the magazines. Which really doesn't answer anything except maybe be kind of mean to Bob. So, anyway, yeah. Um, so that's it for World's Finest. Um, I'll play a couple more promos, and we'll come back. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than a speeding bullet. Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies, or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life. April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations, and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast 
www.mypodcast.com. The blog is supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a spoiler-free comic book review blog of the titles I read every week, which can be found at mypolllist.blogspot.com. And you can send email about this blog to mypolllist at gmail.com. Coming October 31st, 2010, Superman Forever Radio, a new weekly podcast which will focus on Superman and his family of comics, movies, television shows, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Featuring the latest news, reviews, and the latest and classic adventures of the Man of Steel, an in-depth look at a variety of topics throughout Superman's 70-plus years of history. Join host J. David Weeder every Sunday for Superman Forever Radio, coming October 31st, 2010. For more information, go to supermanforever.com. in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. We're back, and this time we're looking at Action Comics number 404 with the September cover date with a Neil Adams cover for 25 cents. This came out on July 29th, so just two days after the world's finest issue. Okay, we have a cover by Neil Adams and possibly Dick Giordano, and this one I don't like as much as either of the other two. First of all, the background is this very bright yellow, which just kind of hurts the eyes when you look at it. Secondly, the colors are kind of faded, which doesn't help, which actually they look more faded against the yellow. Uh, third, uh, we have this poorly designed looking character flying off uh, while Superman is tied up to what looks like a, a slab. As this other guy looks like he's meddling with some old type computer machinery. There's no background on this really, other than the machinery. So it's kinda it's kinda like Neil spent all his time working on the other two covers. He didn't have any time for this one. But uh this is a it, it's hard to say that it's the character on here kinda looks pretty yuck. I don't know if he if Adams designed it or if this is a swan design or uh, the writer, Leo Dorfman, uh, he designed it, but is it Leo? It is Leo. So I don't know who designed this, but this is not a very fun-looking co uh, con uh, costume. Anyway, uh, the title of this story is Neil to your Conquerors, Superman. The story is by Leo Dorfman, with art by Swan and Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, and of course the editor is Murray Boltonoff, and the uh, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. In the city of Metropolis at the Galaxy Broadcasting Building, we see Clark Kent be given his next assignment over video call from Morgan Edge, basically telling him that he's going to do a video special about the Coast Institute, 
which is the think tank whose scientists do the planning for the Pentagon, the Space Administration, and dozens of other vital agencies, and should make a great show. So, uh, so Clark gets into the mobile news van and drives off towards the place. Apparently, it's cross country. I don't know how long this takes, but doesn't seem to change his outfit. But um, as suddenly he feels an earthquake. And using his, tele his telescopic vision, he sees the mountain that the Space Institute is rest situated on is basically about to break because the Epic Center is directly under the Institute, which is actually causing the mountain to break up and will cause the Institute to topple off the mountain. And at super speed, he checks out that the problem is because one end of the giant cavern is collapsing. So using stalactites and stalagmites, he stops the cave-in by hurling them into position at super speed, basically building up uh, kind of a wall to hold the cavern up, which I'm not sure would completely work in real life, but it's comic book, so it's all right. So Superman flies back out, um, out and up to the Institute to make sure everything's okay. And uh, as he gets there... Uh, Excuse me, a scientist uh, mentions that he has perfect timing, and he ended the earthquake at 4.05 exactly as Caesar predicted. So he asks, who's Caesar? And Caesar's the most magnificent brain we have here at the Institute. And um, so Superman thinks that by brain, he probably means a giant computer. Turns out it is a gentleman named, get this, Rufus Caesar, the country's greatest mathematical genius. Uh, they use his brain power instead of tapes to program the giant computer. And he, uh, Caesar apparently predicted the earthquake and Superman's appearance. And like all big brains, um, which, and it's actually kind of an artistic thing that they do with both um, Ray Palmer, that you see with Ray Palmer and Barry Allen, uh, at least somewhat, and later Harry Hammond. Henry, Harry? No, not Harry. Take this part out. Um, but, uh, but basically, making their heads big, but the rest of the body's a little smaller. Uh, so, but yeah, this guy's got a huge noggin. But he's got plenty of hair to cover it, so it's all right. Uh, basically, he shows a bunch of, uh, Superman a bunch of awards he's won. And um, he says he's got some really interesting stuff he wants to show Superman, so he leads him back to his nearby estate. And... Shows his, uh, has his butler, tells his butler that he's here with a guest and he's going to show him around. And apparently he's uh, got a Superman souvenir collection. He's got a steel beam with Superman's handprint. Uh, Superman's footprint from a sidewalk of the Metropolis Movie Palace. The head of a damaged Superman robot salvaged from sea. And a poster about from Superman trying to get people to uh, give to charity, it looks like. And... Um, He's gathered every news clipping he could find about Superman's super deeds. Uh, basically, this guy is Superman's biggest fan and wishes he could be like Superman, which leaves Superman kind of flattered. And um, uh, Superman sees an empty platform, which he says is reserved for his most valuable trophy, which he hopes to get someday. And then he takes Superman inside this um, other room, it looks like, and mentions that he's savaged some optical lenses from his da the damaged robot that I mentioned just a minute ago. Um, and if Superman could glance through them with his X-ray vision, he might be able to recharge the, the vision powers, and they'd be the gems of his collection. So Superman decides, ah, 
why not? Couldn't hurt anything. So he puts this little helmet on, starts using his x-ray vision, and suddenly he feels pain, and it's a trap, and he's paralyzed. And he literally cannot move. And basically, it's revealed by Caesar that the headpiece amplifies the energy from his x-ray vision into a hypnotic dormo power, which is putting him in a suspended animation. And his body is locked in paralysis, and from this moment on, only your hearing and mental functions can process. So I guess we don't get to hear him talk any. We'll see. Um, so using a, a crane type of thing on the, on the ceiling, we see Superman knocked, or hooked up to that same uh, slab that we, uh, he asked about earlier with the platform, because Superman is now his most prized possession. And Superman's hooked up with all sorts of devices. As Caesar explains that he's going to use uh, his power, his transvector, which he invented because every guy invents stuff in this during this era, and um, basically is going to siphon Superman's powers over to Caesar. So while Superman pretty much pretty much stands there motionless, Caesar changes into his costume and decides first he's going to get Superman's super strength. And Superman uses his willpower to uh, tries to use his super willpower to stop things to stop this from happening, but it does no good. As suddenly, not only does Caesar get his super strength, but his hands get enormously huge, and he has his little butler guy come over and bring him a bucket full of charcoal, which he starts squeezing with super pressure into diamonds, and um. Next, he decides he wants Superman's vision powers, so he has that set up. And, of course, Super Superman says everything's going black. He's trying to fight it, but he can't. And in spite of all the resistance, we see Caesar using his X-ray his, his vision to see his butler's ribcage, and then his heat vision to um, burn up the remainder of the coal to start a nice fire. Uh, suddenly, uh, at he uses his telescopic vision to see a mountain, uh, a cable car at Mountain Falls disabled by a windstorm, and the passengers are panicking, which makes perfect sense. Uh, Superman want, uh, is trying to help, but basically, you know, he can't do anything because he's stuck. So, um, what's so Caesar decides he knows exactly what to do, and using and he'll take his flying powers so he can fly to the rescue. So he takes Superman's flying powers and starts flying around the room and crashes into the wall which actually hurts him because in his haste he forgot about invulnerability so he goes back but before he takes this uh, this power he decides he's going to change it to costume uh, that he's created for himself and comes out in that same weird looking costume from the cover which is basically um, the boots are a little taller. Instead of sandals, he's got boots that are, you know, go up to just about his knees almost. But basically, he's kind of wearing centurion armor, it's a little flashier, uh, with a chest plate, and it says a C for Caesar. And uh, he's wearing the kind of crown of, I don't know what you call it, but leaves that, you know, Julius Caesar wore. And, um,. Comes out and says that soon everyone will be saying, Hail Caesar! And um, Superman starts acting like this is his fault. It's like, I did this. By allowing people to hero worship me, I inspired him to become an egotistical, power hungry maniac. 
Right. Um, so Caesar decides that he's going to have to, in order to do what he needs to do, he's got to have all of Superman's powers. So he hits the total superpower button because this is back in the day when everything's nicely labeled and his push button activates the machine. And um, Superman just starts deciding. Superman decides he's got to, he can't let this happen. So he's fighting as much as he can with his willpower. And Caesar's like, you, you can stop fighting because nothing you do can stop this. And Superman decides, you know what? If that means, this means he has some control over the power flow, if if he can feel that, so he just relax and let the super energy pour into him at full strength. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for Caesar, um, this isn't going to work because the power is flowing too fast. His muscles, his sinews are expanding like balloons, and his body can't take the pressure. It he just, his body just can't adjust quickly enough. So he has his butler throw the cutoff switch before his body explodes, which is the super. Uh, but instead of that, he actually uh, switches the superpower reversal circuit, which sends all of all of Superman's powers back into his body. And also about that time, uh, this also causes the feedback uh, the Dormo circuits to be destroyed by some feedback, and. The, which means that the suspended animation is coming to an end. So Superman pretty much rips himself out of the out of the device and using his hand cuts a hole in the platform so that he can fly out of there faster, I guess, or maybe it's because the platform was part of the problem. And flying off at super speed, um, Superman heads out to help that cable car because now uh, there's a, one of the cables have frayed, and it's basically dangling there high above a waterfall. And Superman is able to catch it easily because he has powers and flies it off to safety. And then when he returns, we find out that Caesar is now pretty much helpless. He is now a mindless vegetable. And Superman pretty much feels upset uh, tells him that he was mis he had misguided hero worship that led him to become a menace and flies off. Days later, back at the Galaxy Broadcasting Company, uh, Edge uh, congratulates Clark on the special about the think tanks and that the story about Caesar had a smash ending and um, that it must be great for Clark to be have Superman for a friend because he always comes up with a story where the good guys win. And that's pretty much it. So, now like I said, besides the costume, this this wasn't totally a bad story. In fact, if you think about it, uh, this would have been good for like um, one of those sitcoms where they needed to save some money, or maybe an episode of Smallville where they need to save some money for the finale, because this, most of the story takes place in one room. Um, of course, it's a small, short story, but um, by the way, this story has never been reprinted. None of the stories in this issue have been reprinted. It's kind of a recurring theme in the action comics. But um, on page five, um, the chunk of concrete that has Superman's footprint from in front of the Metropolis Theater, how could you have gotten that legally? Wouldn't you literally have to break the concrete and pull it out, which... He's either stealing or I mean it's kind of public proper I don't know. Anyway, 
I'm not sure that that's completely legal. Page seven, uh, Superman's blaming himself. Like, if I hadn't been a hero, and he does it again on page 10. And after listening to some episodes of Amazing Spider-Man classics, this just makes me think that he thinks he's Spider-Man. Uh, where, you know, Spider-Man's like, there's a hole in the ozone layer. I can't believe it. It must be because of me and the, the fact that I just lied to my Aunt May. And Superman's the same. I mean, this is in no way Superman's fault. It's because he's a hero that this guy ended up doing what he does. But if he hadn't been a hero, what would he have done? I mean, then he's just, he's no, I mean, it's hard. How do I want to explain this? Superman is kind of saying that he allowed hero worship. What was he going to do? Save the day and then, like, you know, be mean to people so they wouldn't worship him? I don't know. I don't like that part of the story at all. Page 14. Uh, basically, it's the last page of the story. Superman just leaves. Doesn't offer to help. Doesn't offer to do anything to, you know, help the guy at all. He just leaves. Like, I don't care what happens to you now. You try to take my powers. Uh, but page 14, uh, like I said, it's a pretty interesting way to tell a Superman story that mostly takes place in just one room. This is not typical for DC at the time because we're looking at stories that have multiple, well, book, I mean, granted they're all the Superman books, but these are books that have multiple editors. It's multiple books. And this is a story that's gone on for about a year and there's still no resolution to it. And it's a subplot that has been carried out in all these Superman books, regardless of who the editor is, because E. Nelson Bridwell is editing Lois. Jack Kirby, by this point, I believe, is editing um, Jimmy Olsen. Murray Boltonoff has this. Schwartz has um, Superman and World's Finest. And Sikowski, Sikowski, although I think um, in this month, I think, Joe Orlando is going to take over the adventure book, but that's where Supergirl is, and Candor doesn't have their own stuff. So, I mean, that's a lot of different editors covering the same one era of the or one era, one area of the Superman or one corner of the DC multiverse, and it's just weird. Even now, you wouldn't see this happen probably, unless it was at Marvel. Um, and even though at the beginning of the story on page what is it, three, uh, it actually says, and I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote here. It says, um, this is after Superman is, you know, throwing the stalactites and stalagmites to prevent the cave-in. It says, terrific. No wonder they call you the Earth's greatest heroes. Super catastrophes, super villains. We've overcome them all. But this time it's different. Before this adventure ends... You'll kneel before your conqueror. You'll kneel to your conqueror, Superman, which he never kneels down to his conqueror. The only kneeling he does this whole month is when he's getting beat up in a, in the uh, New York City dump. But anyway, uh, the next story, which is actually a pretty good story I don't have a whole lot to say about, but um, the story is titled... The day they killed Clark Kent. And again, this is another secret chapter in the life of Clark Kent back when he was in college. And this time we're learning all about hazing at Metropolis University. So we start off the story as um, Clark's walking into what appears to be a kitchen, um, talking about how Stan Rivers and those rowdies from Zeta Mu, MU, Zeta Mu uh, fraternity are doing hazing again against Dave Hammond. And they've basically 
but got him tied, uh, not really tied up, but they're holding his arms behind a chair and putting shaving cream all over his face and making him sit there for some reason. And um, they, so Clark, well, of course, Clark tries to interfere and stop them. They get mad. So pretending to be a klutz like he usually does, he pretends to slip on some of the shaving cream. And using his flight powers, he's able to cause his feet to kick two of the uh, fraternity members and his hands to basically knock out the other two, leaving Dave Hammond sitting in a chair wondering what's going on. So he's wiping the stuff off his face and then actually tells Clark not to be a meddler because you know, he'll probably never make Zeta, Zeta Mu, which is the swankiest fraternity on campus. Um, because and he wants and while Clark's like I why would you want to join them? Uh, Dave's pretty much telling him that um, the those rich kids might help him when he graduates. If you don't wise up, Clark, you'll be a waiter all your life, which we know won't be true. But anyway, so later that day we see Clark walking around carrying like three books and a lar and wearing a long red sweater, and. Um, the, guy, the guys from Zeta Mu decide they're going to get back at Clark. So they say, you know what? You're right, Clark. These childish pranks are for the birds. From now on, we'll be very responsible. In fact, why don't you come over to the clubhouse for the, and you can be initiated too. Him and Dave. Sorry. So Clark says, okay, I'll be there. Um, and he heads over well, okay. Uh, shortly, uh, they they say that um, they, the members talk to Dave confidentially and tell him that he's already been voted in, uh, provided that they help give Cream Puff Kent the treatment. So Dave says, sure, that old sack ought to be good for a barrel of laughs, which, of course, Clark sees and hears this using his superpowers and decides that he's going to come up with a few schemes of his own using it to keep them from or to teach them a little bit of their own medicine. So Clark shows up at the clubhouse and they say, we're going to start the ceremony. Uh, soon the initiation is in full swing with basically Clark blindfolded inside what looks like a big, almost looks like a dumpster. And they're rocking, it's on wheels and springs and they're rocking it back and forth uh, with a fan blowing very strongly at Clark. And I'm not sure. Oh, apparently, then they say that you're a prisoner on a pirate ship, Kent, caught in a devastating hurricane. And from the nearby coastal desert, a mighty wind blows a swirling sandstorm. And with a bucket of sand, they hold it in front of the big fan. And it basically, you know, shoots sand in Clark's face. And he starts acting like he can't breathe. So he decides that uh, he's going to use his super breath to give him a real hurricane. And using his superpowers, he basically causes the entire main room of the clubhouse to go crazy with the super breath, trashing it. So they shut off the fan and decide Clark's up for the next thing. His initiation isn't over yet. Now the pirate ship is sinking and he's got to leap over the side. So Clark decides, okay, um, he's going to show them using this. So using his super his super flight ability and super strength, when he walks off the plank into the top water, he actually 
uh, he lands in it, but using his super strength causes the tub to smash through the ceiling to the floor below. So they decide, you know what, we're going to mess with Clark by using the electric cattle prod. So they start hitting him um, at the feet with the cattle prod, and Clark decides, you know what, if fear is what they want to see, I'll show them what fear can be. And using his super strength, he's going to short circuit the prod, which causes an electric shock effect covering Clark and basically knocks him down. And using his superpowers uh, and super willpower, he's able to slow his, he's able to stop his breathing and his heart, causing them to think he's pretty much dead. And they run out before the cops show up. Clark's about to change to Superman and round up those hoodlums uh, for Clark's murder and pretend that, you know, Superman revived Clark. And as he heads out, Dave, all of a sudden, uh, says, we can't leave poor Clark like that. Maybe there's a chance to revive him or it'll be murder, I tell you. And they're like, Dave's right. We better go back. So Clark's like, uh-oh. So really quick, he switches back to Clark and lays that plate, you know, and gets back laying down on the ground. And, um... Dave comes up and starts trying artificial respiration while he has someone uh, run to the hospital infirmary for some oxygen and ask someone else to get the police. Dave keeps trying, and he's actually crying at this point. Clark decides he's going to let them keep going just to push the lesson a little further and finally acts like he's revived and what happened, where am I, and he's alive, and everything's good. And this makes them realize that they were fools and that they acted like spoiled brats, and things are going to change. And Clark decides, all right, you've learned your lesson. Officer, I don't want to press charges. It was all a mistake. Weeks later, they decide to bring Clark back to the clubhouse. And uh, the main guy, Stan, I believe his name was, uh, basically tells Clark that they've decided to pledge their allowances for the next six months to rebuild the clubhouse better than ever. So Clark thinks they haven't changed at all. But as you enter the building, instead of the party room and all that stuff, what you see is a study center and the members of Zeta Mu are now tutoring the students who need help because of Clark's fine example and what we've got is this room which was just had furniture before now has a large library we see people studying at a table another another young man uh, reading looks like he's reading a book in a nice chair and we see another table where one guy looks like he's having trouble, so he's probably why he's there. Well, another while well, we see another guy, um, you know, tutoring another student. So that's pretty cool. And like I said, I really don't have too much trouble with this story. This is actually a pretty good, you know, story for what it's doing. Um, it's you know, there's no superpowers. It's and it's one of those stories where we get to see Clark being Clark instead of being having to be Superman and but still you know doing what needs to be done and finding interesting ways to use his powers the only thing that gets me and I've been to college and granted it wasn't in the early 70s but all these kids are wearing suits or really nice clothes and I've noticed this on the when you read the Superboy stories too they wear really nice clothes I mean we're talking about you know like nice sweaters and shoes and I know that they used to dress up but it just I don't know if they were still doing it at this point but I mean, they look really nice Clark's wearing a, by the time we get to the end Clark's wearing a sweater but with a tie 
and we've got guys teaching and stuff in suits. It's just a little. I don't know if they would be worried, worried about dressing like that in college, at least not at the fraternity house, but that could just be me. Um, but that's it for the stories this month. Uh, real quick, uh, we're going to go, I'm going to do the uh, Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse for all books on sale in July 1971. Um, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at www.dcindexes.com. And this well, this month we're going to start off with a DC 100-page Super Spectacular number 5, full of love stories, with actually has a $100 prize contest, How I Met My Boyfriend. And um, uh, on this one, we actually have Ted Long of the Today Show telling you how to look fabulous. So there you go. And it's got, it says it's got 15 stories and features, and I see listed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 stories, so that means there must be 5 features, otherwise they lied. There's also DC Special number 14, which is the world's most dangerous villains. And I don't know if they're really true on that, because we have uh, now Flash, maybe. There's a Flash story where he has to go up against uh, Heat Wave and Captain Cold. But Superman goes up against Toy Man. And Batman goes up against the pink, <clears throat> the penguin. So I don't know if those are the most dangerous villains. We have our army at war number two thirty six. Um, and we basically see it's a co actually a pretty cool looking Joe Kubert cover. We have Wonder Woman number one ninety six, which is kind of revealing because basically Diana's costume is pretty much tattered. The only parts that are covered are her womanly bits and she's got a giant target that looks like it's been tattooed on her back which is bare so um, but yeah it's got three superman story or superman three wonder woman stories in that we have girls romances number 159 uh, featuring the 10 things you must never tell a boy <gasps> and this this is a cover by don heck and vince coletta and the outfits they're wearing are crazy looking uh, we have Our Fighting Forces, number 133. And we have Superpoint, number 177. Um, basically, it looks like the Kents have been put in jail. And Superman or Superboy is not going to get them out. And the title is called Our Traitor Super Son. So, interesting. Uh, we have Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane, number 113, which is a big 64-page reprint issue. And um, featuring the unknown Superman, the monster who loved Lois Lane, the return of Lois's monster sweetheart, so I guess that's both parts, uh, the girl who mourned for Superman, and Superman's romance with Lana Lang. Oh my goodness. Um, so... Yeah, and then we have Tomahawk number 136, uh, Ghosts number 1, and this has got a pretty cool looking Nick Cardi cover with a guy getting married to basically a skeleton with boobs. We have House of Mystery number 194 with another cool Bernie Wrightson cover. We have Spirit World number 1, which is actually published. Now, there's three books coming that come out this month that um, are rather interesting. This book is called Spirit World. Uh, it was published by Hampshire Distribution Limited, which is apparently a DC imprint. And um, 
Let me look at these because I think this, this book is, yep. Now these have some really off-kilter kinds of stories that you're not going to see in a normal DC comic book. Uh, it's like prophecy, reincarnation, haunting, black magic. Are we on the outside of the spirit world? And it's got this really cool, mostly it looks like it's painted cover by Jack Kirby. In fact, all the stories inside are by Jack Kirby. So in addition to all of the regular comic books he was doing, he was also doing this uh, this book and at least one other. And there's a giant poster of the occult, uh, of the, of the occult. Occult world, if you want to call it that. Oh, Doctor Occult, Doctor Occult, the Occult world, and um, there's it's noted that Spirit World number one, but this is the only issue, and uh, it's a 50 cent issue, uh, 48 pages. So I wonder if it's like a giant magazine type thing. Meanwhile, back in the regular comics, we have Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 141, once again featuring. Uh, Don Rickles, yay! We have the Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love, number one, which is another one of these. Oh no, this is actually a regular DC book. Weird. Um, and it looks like a photo cover. So that's pretty interesting. We have Mr. Miracle, number four. Jack Kirby again. If it'll ever come up. Um, let's see. Which, uh, also a big bonus, big surprise, Big Barda! I don't know if this is her first appearance or not. Probably not. I would imagine she was in the first one. But let's see what this says. Um, oh, I'm kidding. Apparently, this is the first appearance of Big Barda. So, that's right. Mr. Miracle number four, Big Barda shows up for the first time. We have the Phantom Stranger number 15 with another cool-looking um, Neil Adams cover. And if you ever wanted to see... Uh, a robot with a mohawk. This is the issue for you, at least on the cover. Uh, we have DC uh, 100-page Super Spectacular number six with an awesome-looking uh, Neil Adams cover that basically shows all of the DC heroes that are inside the book. And on the cover, you can see green. Uh, basically, uh, for the most part, these are the Earth One heroes, but we see the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. We see Green Arrow, Aquaman, Dr. Midnight, um, Vigilante. Those are the only two you see on the cover from Earth 2, at least that are noticeable. Uh, Martian Manhunter, the Spectre, which means I lied. That's actually the third one you see from Earth 2. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and uh, what looks like her Earth 2 costume. So maybe she's from Earth 2. This is not her white outfit that she's been wearing. This is super-powered. Wonder Woman. We have the Barry Allen Flash. We have Black Canary. We have Hawkman, Hawk Girl, and the Atom. And it's really cool. It's a 100-page Super Spectacular, which uh, features the two-part, uh, which features the Justice League stories Crisis on Earth One and Crisis on Earth Two, a Spectre story, a Johnny Quick story, Vigilante story, a Wildcat story, and a Hawkman story. So that's pretty cool. We have Teen Titans number 35. Um, featuring the intruders of the Forbidden Crypt. And Aqualad and Speedy are in two separate um, solo stories. We have Young Romance, number 175, asking, uh, which offers allows you to test yourself. Are you ready to go steady? And then we have Flash, number 209, uh, which looks like Flash is up against uh, 
Captain Boomerang and the Trickster. And while the information says that this is a Dick Giordano cover, that really looks like it's a Carmine Infantino cover. So we have Justice League of America number one nine or number ninety two, which again seems to feature um I guess part two of the Justice League Justice Society team up. And this time Solomon Grundy is uh basically tearing the heroes apart. Me, Solomon Grundy, me mightier than Superman. Me mightier than all superheroes. Blah blah blah. And let's see. That's so that's actually looks like a really cool cover. We have Young Love number eighty eight. Are you too shy for your own good? I used to be. But I'm getting better. Batman number two thirty five, uh, with the daughter of the demon. And uh which actually has a pretty cool cover. It looks like uh we have we see Talia and someone in a gas mask. Try it looks like they're trying to find Batman and we see Batman's cowl floating in the water, but meanwhile behind them, Batman without his mask on so Bruce, um, is leaping down to take them down. So that's pretty cool. Uh, next we have Lois Lane number 114, uh, which actually has an astounding Superlink thriller starring both Lois and the Thorn. And of course Lois seems to be jumping to conclusions because we see Thorn running along and Batman or Batman and Superman's telling her to come back, don't run away from me like this. So Lois thinks that that means that he's in love with, you know, Thorn. Mm, so sad. We have Unexpected, number 127, which has a really cool Nick Cardi cover. Featuring stories like The Fort did, Which Did Not Return, the story behind the cover. Don't know, I guess that's from the cover story. The End of the Sea Wolf and the Baker's Dozen. And this looks really cool. It's a really cool Joe Cooper cover. I actually like that one. It's one of the few that I do like. Uh, we have Date with Debbie, number 17, featuring something that says, Part Fire, Part Rain. That's James Taylor. And, yeah, we see, it's interviewed James Taylor, and I've never seen him with this much hair or anything, or a beard even. I've only seen him bald, shiny on top. But he's got... He had some hair. Dude's got rocking some hair. Uh, we have Strange Adventures, number 232. Just got another cool Joe Kubert cover. Uh, basically one of those very futuristic ones where this space dragon kind of thing with wings uh, is wrapping itself around a large rocket as people watch on from... Oh, apparently it's a movie. Interesting. Gotta look at the cover closer. Next we have Adventure Comics number 410, and like I said, that this is the first issue uh, edited by Joe Orlando, and I don't know what this means for the rest of the Supergirl stories, but inside her costume's finally starting to look a little better. Um, if anyone knows about her, the, the costume she wears for most of the 70s and early 80s, uh, we basically have that the it's the blouse with the puffy sleeves and the cape that she wears with the, it's kind of like ties around her neck. Um, and she's got the really short shorts, but these uh, were still a little different at this point. Uh, the short shorts um, actually have some yellow fringe on them. And I'm sorry I sound like I'm such a fashion guy, not usually. Uh, and her, instead of Superman type boots, she's wearing these uh, short little ballet slippers. Uh, so that's pretty cool. We have Detective Comics number 415, and uh, this has a really cool cover. Uh, we have a guy inside what looks like a some kind of old building, and he's shocked as he's looking outside the window, and we see Superman barely, 
Earth. Man, I cannot get my heroes straight today. We see Batman, and he's hung. We actually see the noose around his neck, and he's just hanging there. And he says with these shaky balloon, you killed me, and I'm going to prove it. And uh, that's just probably one of this. Uh, well, I like the Superman one better, but it's like the awesomest Neil Adams cover of the month. And then we have the days in the days of the mob number one, which is another one of those big 50 cent, 48 page books published by Hampshire Distribution Limited, which is still a DC reprint or imprint. And again, we this is all Jack Kirby, and uh, it's got five more stories. Uh, featuring Welcome to Hell, Ma's Boys, Bullets for Big Al, The Kansas City Massacre, and Method of Operation. Now, I will want, do want to point out that both this and that other book do not carry the Comic Code Authority's uh, stamp. So I don't know what kind of stories are inside here, but I would imagine Jack Kirby's not going to go too crazy. But, um, yeah. And these are really cool. It's, Kirby was experimenting with photo stuff at this point and he looks like he really gets to do stuff these look pretty cool these the covers look really way ahead of what the rest of the books of the rest of the comic books were like at this time but that's it for this month um i implore you to make sure you go to the superman um podcast network at www.fortressofbelly2.com slash superman podcast network where you can Check out both my, or where you can check out my and several other Superman podcasts. I also recommend you check out the Superman homepage, um, where you can find all your latest Superman news. And um, thanks again to Steve and Tom for writing in, and I will see you next time. Oh, and next episode, we have a special guest as we cover the first month of Superman comics after the Kryptonite Evermore story has ended. So join us next, uh, next week, and I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. You can write to the show at umbc81 at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show two ways, via the RSS feed at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com or via iTunes. Also, if you like this show, make sure you check out the blogs and podcasts listed in the recommended sites section. And be sure to check out my reviews of other classic Superman comics at www.supermanhomepage.com. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Also, any images or music used for this blog or podcast is purely for entertainment only. I do not make any money from this show. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.